Welcome to Legendary. I'm Isadora Martin-Guy, one of your hosts. And I'm Adam Bloor, your other host. And this is the podcast where we tell you one of the stories and legends that we enjoy and investigate a little bit about how much of it's real. Yeah. And stuff like that. <laughs> this week... I'm completely frazzled. <laughs> <laughs> this week we are going to be doing something that is a little bit more cheery than the last couple of episodes. Yeah, yeah. Full disclosure, we recorded episode three 24 hours ago. And Dora's story really kind of, like, left me in a pretty bummer mood for the rest of the day. So this one, we went a little bit mythical uh, and picked some sort of fun legendary creature. So hopefully we'll uh, we'll bring the podcast back around. I know. Cropsy is definitely one of those stories that sticks with you for all the wrong reasons. That's what we get for picking stories that are based in reality. Yeah. Like, all those things, are like, are factual. There's, evi- like, photographic evidence. Real people who... Let's Sorry. do that trauma. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, on the other hand, this week have gone for about the most famous and fun of all the mythical creatures that you could possibly ever go for. Sasquatch? Nearly. Nessie. Uh, okay, cool, cool. I mean, Nessie's got to be perhaps the most legendary... Legendary creature. ...of all of them. For sure. Mainly because, as far as I can think of, one of the few that has an actual name is a person. Not a person. So it's a creature. <laughs> yeah. But it's... It's one creature with a name. With a name, it's mm-hmm. Sasquatch c- is found in multiple cultures, yeah. in multiple places. Nessie, there are sea monsters recorded all over. Don't I mean? Yeah. Um, the Kraken, and there's going to be many that we get right. into, I'm sure. But Nessie herself is pretty much put down to one place and one person and one thing. Yeah. So, let me tell you a little bit about more. <laughs> so, let me tell you a little bit more about Loch Ness. Yes. It's located in the Scottish Highlands. Mm-hmm. It has the largest volume of fresh water in Great Britain. The Loch Ness does? Yes. Okay. The body of water reaches a depth of nearly 800 feet, which I have no frame of reference for, but I assume is really... I think it's slightly deeper than the highest point in Dartmoor. Okay. Like 200 feet deeper than that. And a length of about 23 miles. Yeah, which would be like... Yeah, well that we can easily visualize, can't we? Yeah. The scholars of the Loch Ness Monster find dozens of references to Nessie in Scottish history, dating back to about 500 AD. Wow. So what I'm going to do is tell you kind of all the evidence Mm -hmm. for Nessie and kind of the Nessie story. Yep. And then we'll talk a little bit about what is real. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Cool. So the Pict Stones. Now, I don't know if you guys know what the Picts are. But they are a group of people that were living in Scotland um, about two and a half thousand years ago, mm-hmm. longer. Uh, they're the native Scots, basically. Yeah. There have been a whole load of stones found, and one of them was found very near Loch Ness, mm-hmm. which was a serpent-like sea creature carved into. Okay, this is a bit of this yeah. is a little tangential, but we didn't talk about the picks when we talked about the recumbent stone circles, did we? Not that's really. way too far. That's way too far in the past, isn't it? No, about the same period. Okay, but not the same group of people. Not the same group of people. For those that haven't checked out History of a House, our other podcast, and want to know what we're talking about, we do a special on stone circles and... Didn't even them. write that segue into the show notes. No, no. Pretty good, um, right? But, um, so no, they... So there's there's a stone that was found in Loch Ness that has a serpent-like sea monster carved into it. Cool. The next kind of sighting of Nessie 
was not until the 7th century biography of St. Columba. Columba? The Irish ministry who introduced Christianity to Scotland. Mm -hmm. Uh, The traditional idea of how he came to Scotland states that after being ordained into the priesthood in Ireland, Columba became involved in a violent colleague with a a quarrel with a colleague. The quarrel led to bloodshed and he was exiled from Ireland. In the Gaelic kingdom, he found a warm welcome when he arrived in Scotland. For Gaelic warrior kings, he was a useful asset. His monastery provided education meant that their sons were well-educated and could write and Mm -hmm. things like that. He was a close advisor to the king, and he served as a diplomat to the king's neighbours in Pickland and Ireland. Okay. So same area, but later. Um, His blessing was treasured by kings, a powerful symbol of authority, and in return for their support, the girls gave the monastery land and protection. So he was a very politically astute figure in Scotland at this point. In... 565 CE, current era. Good job. According to biographers, according to his biographer, he was on his way to visit the king of the Northern Picts mm-hmm. near Inverness when he stopped at Loch Ness and he confronted a beast that had been killing people in the lake. Seeing a large beast about to attack another man, he intervened, invoking the name of God and commanding that the creature go back with all speed. The monster retreated and never harmed another man. Mm. Which is why Nessie doesn't kill people. Okay, because I, I had always thought that Nessie was always described as like ben, a very benign... Yes. ...sort of just is Apparently around. Apparently because... Because God told her no, no. Yeah, Columba came up and said... Yeah, quit that. Don't do that. But this was how many years later? Okay, so the first one was in... The the, the Picts depiction was in five... Around the turn of the mil, first millennium. So okay. around zero to 500. Kind of when the Romans were... Okay. Romans were in England, and they the Picts were who they were fighting up north. Yeah. This is not much later Okay, than that. okay. I thought you had said it was before the current era switch. So I... It was around... So the Picts were around before okay. the current era switch, okay. but... The, I thought it was like a thousand years, and for some reason he managed to, like, knew about this stone, and then did a whole, like, thing, thing about it. it. Yeah. It, there, there might have been only a few hundred years between the okay. stones being that makes, There's that not makes a whole more. lot of knowledge on the stones, and we'll get back to them. So, from that point, really, there's not anything about Nessie until about 1933. Okay. So, nearly 2,000 years later. <laughs> yes. Modern interest in the monster was sparked when George Spicer and his wife saw a most extraordinary form of animal crossing the road in front of their car. They had just built a road that ran, ran alongside Loch Ness at this point. Mm-hmm. Until this point, Loch Ness was not very accessible. Um, and they had, in 1933, they put a new road in so that people could actually drive by it. They described the creature as having a large body, about four feet high and 25 feet long, and a long, wavy, narrow neck, slightly thicker than an elephant's trunk, and as long as the 10 to 12 foot width of the road. They saw no limbs. It lurched across the road towards the lock 20 metres away, leaving a trail of broken undergrowth in its wake. So, like a snake? Yeah. Okay. And that sparked Nessie mania. Okay. And it got real crazy. Like real fast. Real fast. Okay. Okay. So, I found this article, which I quite enjoyed. Yeah. In the 
May 1933, Dundee Courier. Loch Ness Mystery Monster. Once again, a sea monster is reported to have been seen on Loch Ness near Inverfargigigigig. I'm sure that's close. Where the water reached a depth of 700 feet. Mr. Shore of Whitfield, in the, um, who previously <laughs> disbelieved that there was a monster, saw it a few days ago and calling his son and friend, they watched it for about 10 minutes through a telescope. Photos show Mr. Shaw and his friends who are keeping a regular lookout in the hopes of seeing it again. And the newspaper article is accompanied by a picture of three men and a telescope. <laughs> Not a photo of Nessie, I'd like to point out. Uh, Seems legit. Yeah. Things took off when the first... So this was... It, it, this it really rapid timelining here, mm-hmm. okay? So this is in the summer. They start seeing... There's all these sightings of Nessie yep. appearing. In On December 6th, 1933, Hugh Gray took the first picture of Nessie. Okay. To which some show a long neck lying low in the water. A log? The fact of the impact impact of this picture cannot be underestimated in assessing the public evolution of the monster. Mm -hmm. I'm going to show Adam a picture of it. I will put it on Instagram. That little grey picture in the bottom is the first picture of Nessie. That's a stick. That is like 145%. We will will get to... Okay. So that was the first picture of Nessie. In 1933. In 1933. 14th of December, so this is a few days later. Yeah. While some, and this is from the Sheffield Independent newspaper. While some people are still debating as to whether the now famous monster of Loch Ness is re, uh, real or not, Mr. Bertram Mills, Britain's circus king, has <laughs> come forward with a handsome reward for its capture. Oh. Mr. Mills... Basically offered, I think, £20,000 yeah, wow. to the person who could deliver Nessie to him in Olympia, London, before <laughs> January 25th, 1934. Okay. So basically, he had a month. Yeah. As you can imagine, it's a huge amount of money. Yes. And unsurprisingly, what happened is a whole load of people rushed to Loch Ness to try and hunt Nessie. Yeah. First up there, one of the first up there in December, so basically, as this article was happening. Mm -hmm. By the way, I don't know what happened to the world in December of 1933, but apparently they just went insane. (laughs) The Daily Mail commissioned Marmaduke Weatherly, best name Very English. Super English. A big game hunter. Yes, of course. Also, who doesn't want to be married to Marmaduke Weatherly, big game hunter? What a profession. Uh Uh-huh. To locate the sea serpent. Along the lake shores, he found large footprints he believed to belong to a very powerful, soft-footed animal about six metres long. Um, in 1934, Robert Kenneth Wilson photographed the alleged creature. Now, this is the photo that everyone thinks of as Nessie. With the head. With the head. And that was in 1934. It was known as the surgeon's photo, appearing to show the monster's small neck and head. The surgeon's photo is reportedly the first real photo, because the photo before didn't show much. And although it was taken by Robert Wilson, who was a London gynecologist, he refused to have his name associated with it, hence why it's actually known as the surgeon's photo, not Robert Wilson's photo. It'd be so much more fun to be living in a time where cameras didn't really work. (laughs) (laughs) According to Wilson, he was looking at the lock when he saw the monster, grabbed his camera and snapped four photos. Only two exposures came out clearly, the first reportedly shows a small head and back, and the second shows a similar head in a diving position. 
The first photo is very well known. The second photo attracted less publicity because of its little blurriness. Okay. okay. Now we come into a little bit later. So I will say that I pulled out like the most famous two examples. There must have this. been people just flooding was, the area. It was every two minutes they were in there. Yeah. Someone was in Loch Ness. Okay. One of the most famous cryptozoologists, which is the study of mythical cri- oh, cryptids. Cryptids that, let's face it, that no one believes exist, um, is Roy Markle's The Monsters of Loch Ness. Mm-hmm. He actually ranked what he thought Nessie would have been. Okay. And one of his preferred hip- hip- hypotheses. Yes. Yes. I think there was a typo in the thing I copied this from. Um, <laughs> There's a typo in your notes, you mean? Oh, yeah, in my notes. <laughs> um, it was that he was a giant eel. Okay. Um, which was one of his two things. A lot of people, of course, think he Nessie could be a a dinosaur. Yeah. Uh, there's a few of them that could match the rough the description shape, yeah. of what they've said. So, on May 1977, Anthony Doc Shields, camping next to Urquhart Castle, took some of the clearest pictures of the monster until this day. He is a magician and psychic and claimed to have summoned the water animal out of the water. He later described it as an elephant squid, claiming that the long net shown in the photos is actually a squid's trunk. An elephant squid? Are those and, real? I don't know. And that a white spot on the base of its neck, its eye, due to the lack of ripples... Oh, wait, I'm going too far. I was gonna we'll say, come back to this. I was going to say, you jumped like 44 years. Yes, we did jump 44 years, mainly because... Oh, we did, for we real. Did. For real, jump 44 years. Okay. Well, it sounds like a lot of people were flocking here, whether or not they believed in the monster, because it was good for their jobs. Yes, I am at this point right now picking out the things that support Nessie. Right, of course. Okay. Because so there's mountains of here's evidence. Here's his picture of Nessie. Can I see a little bit closer? Oh, okay. They think that's an eye then? Yeah. I mean, that... To, okay. I, well, I think an elephant squid is not a thing that exists, so... So, then we started with Sona. So, oh, yeah, so we could actually scan yeah, the... We actually got to a point where Sona became a thing. And when I started doing this, I have open on my screen an article from Technology Review of 1976, which looks at photograph and Sona uh, records obtained at Loch Ness in Scotland in 1972 and 1975. Mm-hmm. They reportedly show flippers moving, which is the bubbly water underneath. Yeah. And those were the first underwater photos okay. of maybe of the Loch Ness monster. Yeah. This was a study done by Robert Rhines, who actually did studies in 1972, 1975, 2001, and 2008. So he's been back there a lot. In 2008, he said he thought that she may have become extinct by now because he couldn't find any more evidence of her. Okay. Having previously found photos. Okay. That look like Sona. Mm. Okay. What does that guy do in his free time when he's not frequenting the lock? He is a researcher from the Academy of Applied Sciences. That's pretty vague. I'm just curious because I, I don't know. Like, I feel like a lot of the, like, the magician guy was probably like, well, I really need a boost in my, <laughs> in my, you know, audience numbers. So I'm going to go pretend to summon the Loch Ness monster. Okay. So he received a bachelor. His, this is something I'm reading right off because I hadn't read this before. 
Rhines was born in 1922 in Boston, Massachusetts. He received a Bachelor of Science from MIT, a doctorate from Georgetown, and wow. a PhD from Tung University in Taiwan. Holy crap. In World War II, he served as an Army Signal Corps officer and helped develop a microwave early warning system. He has held numerous U.S. patents on a wide variety of subjects, uh, up to 200. He was a renowned intellectual property holder, and in March 2004, received the Boston Patent Law Association's Lifetime Achievement Award. He was inducted into a member of the National Inventors Hall of Fame. He is a founder of the Franklin Pierce Law Center. He is a founder of the Academy of Applied Sciences. He was a Harvard lecturer, MIT lecturer, on the Technical Board of Advisory of the U.S. Department of Commerce. He also founded New England Farm Fishery Enterprises, a Bristol, New Hampshire commercial salmon farming uh -huh. operation. Yeah. He was an accomplished musician and composer. At age 11, he played a violin duet with Albert Einstein at summer camp in Maine. Okay. As a composer, he wrote music for Broadway and off-Broadway. What? He also... <laughs> this is not a real person. <laughs> he shared a New York Emmy with playwright Paul Scheer for in what? 1987 for the television and later Broadway play Hisner. His philanthropic efforts include establishing a great fund, providing educational grants for large extended families in perpetuity. He retired in 2008 from MIT. He died in November 2009 at the age of 87. I thought this girl was like a hack fraud. <laughs> Dude, I did too. I yeah. just kind of assumed he was... A hack, a fraud. Because like, I was like, oh, this guy, like, he's done three or four sonar tests on Loch Ness. There's no way he's doing anything else. But this was obviously just a hobby of his. He's obviously got to be one of the most accomplished people in human history. Yeah, why don't we know his name? I don't know. Why did we not know who this was? Wow. Okay. Okay, so apparently... Did firstly, now I feel really bad because <laughs> I am going to go on and discredit him in some ways. And I may just cut that whole discreditation out because obviously this man is... Learning. Not insane. No. During a visit to Scotland in 1972, he reported seeing a large, darkish hump covered with rough, mottled skin like the back of an elephant in Loch Ness. Over the next 35 years, he mounted numerous expeditions to the loch and searched its depths with sophisticated electronic and photographing, photographic equipment, mostly of his own design. While his investigations produced multiple theories and several tantalizing photos, he was unable to produce sufficient evidence enough to convince the scientific community of the existence of the fabled monster. Okay. So we just went down a route on how everybody should take a minute and go and research Robert H. Rhines because apparently he's done everything. He's awesome. He didn't. There wasn't a subject of art or science that he didn't have his finger in. I feel like a very <laughs> small peon of a person <laughs> no, compared I, to this man. Seriously. I mean, he was a World War II war hero. He's a veteran, and he uh, and he won an Emmy. And he played a violin duet with Albert Einstein. Yeah, madness. I was a, I was like I giving him creditation when he just got a bachelor from MIT. Oh I yeah, was you, like, I was like, that's pretty solid. I was like, and okay. then he said Georgetown, and I was like, okay, wow. And then yeah. uh, some college in Taiwan. Yeah. Okay. okay. Moving on. <laughs> All right. <laughs> In August 2011, Loch Ness boat captain Marcus Atkinson photographed a sonar image of a 1.5 meter wide unidentified object which seemed to follow his boat for two minutes. And 
at the depth of 75 feet, which rules out the possibility of a small fish or seal, because they travel at a higher... There are seals in Loch Ness? Yeah. Oh, okay. We'll get to that, but yes, there are. In April 2012, this experiment was repeated. Okay. In 2003, going back a little bit, the BBC sponsored a search for the lock using 600 sonar beams and satellite tracking. Google commemorated the 81st anniversary of the surgeon's photo and added a new feature to Google Street View where users can now explore the lock from above and below the water. Um, So I wanted to figure that out. All right, DNA survey. So we've gone kind of photography, photographed Loch Ness when it was at its... Yeah, in the 30s. Yeah, when photography was originating. Then sonar, a sonar became a thing. Yeah. And now in 2018, they started doing some DNA testing. It seems like every few years, they're just sort of like, well, let's just go test this bit of technology on the net, on the lock because we can. Yeah. The DNA <laughs> testing revealed that there was a lot of DNA for eels. Okay. Um, and there are such things as gigantic eels, as I told you. The previous the, one of the first one of the first theories, theories right? was that Nessie could possibly be a gigant, giant eel. Okay. And there are eels in the like other smaller eels in the lock. There's like evidence. Yeah. Okay. Okay. In two thousand. Okay. So now I'm going to go back, and I want to just put this out there now. In the early twenty first century, it was thought that Nessie contributed nearly eighty million to the Scottish economy. In tourism. In tourism. That's a lot. Huge amount. In of one money. year. Yes. Wow. Well, no, no, early 21st century. So oh, okay, 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 years. yeah, okay. Okay, so now it's we're going to start back at the beginning. I'm going to tell you why all of that is BS. Is BS. <laughs> Perhaps with the exception of what Robert Ryan said. Yeah, well, okay. I believe in Nessie now because, I believe of in Nessie Robert, because of him. Because of Robert Ryan's. Okay, so let's go back to the pits. They did, in fact, convert. It's not like your slender man where you're like. Oh, and it was all made up. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, they did, in fact, create stone with sea monsters depicted on them. And one of them was found near Loch Ness. The pics are fake. No, the, the pics, the pics are, are real. real. Okay. The stones are real. Okay. However, there were a lot of them. I believe 26 of these stones mm-hmm. were found. And they were actually found all over Scotland. Okay. And somebody has actually gone around and lined up reportings of Nessian Scottish sea monsters with where these stone tablets were found. Okay. And there has no correlation to it. If anything, there's a slight correlation to the river network through Scotland, but not the lock yeah. through Scotland. Most people believe that, in fact, while there are sea monsters on it, it was nothing more than just the way the pics wrote down stuff and depicted stuff. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot on here about how when people don't understand stuff before science became... Yeah, we talked about it in the last episode as well. They make up stories to go Mm -hmm. along with it. Absolutely. So there's actually no evidence that this particular thing was anything to do with Loch Ness at all in it. Yeah, it was just a... a, It was a picked way of drawing. It was a picked symbolism. Do they have any evidence to support that it was anything in reality that they they just used a... Uh, No, as far as we can figure out, as far as we can figure out, as far as we, as far as they (laughs) can figure out. The esteemed scientists. Uh, it's a similar thing to looking at pictures of, say, hieroglyphs, where you've got a person with a dog head and thinking that there were really people with dog heads. Yeah. It was just something that they... Okay. It could have, from my experiences of this, that uh, I have a degree in history, so... Yeah. It could have depicted actually just 
storms. Oh, okay. Like sea monsters. Yeah. Um, particularly if you look at them, they're very wavy. Yep. The way they're depicted. So okay. it might just be something to do with like maybe they had a god. They don't know much about the pics. They're a seriously mysterious yeah. bunch of people. Okay. Because the Romans were the only ones really writing about them. Of they course. didn't have much Roman hit written language mm-hmm. and the Romans didn't really like them. So there's not going to be a whole lot of interesting information coming from there. I will say I haven't found anything to directly dispute the fact that Columba managed to send a sea monster back to his depths, but due to the fact that at this period that was a common parable for yeah. saintly people, whether it was St. George slaying the dragon, it doesn't mean we believe there were dragons. Right. Um, if only, if only. Yeah. Also, this wasn't that far after the picks. We're still talking the picks were around, so it could have just been, it was an elaboration of their previous things. So maybe storms and he stopped a storm. Or, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right, jumping forward to 1933. Back. Going back. We were... Well, well, no, I then went back to the picture, so now we're jumping forward again. All right, let's talk about the very first picture. Well... The one that's a stick. The one that's a stick. One of the overwhelming issues with any photography of the Loch Ness Monster is scale. Ah, interesting. There have been no photos, really, of the Loch Ness Monster with anything... Around it. Around it's it. just the water, isn't it? The water. So there is almost no evidence of scale. Was this taken in someone's bathtub? That there is no evidence that it was taken in Loch Ness or what the scale was or anything. Even with all the hunters that went up there in 1933, and there were a lot, and there were a lot of expeditions up mm. there, there was still no real evidence of anyone ever seeing. Not, like not even sightings, like. Oh no, there are tons of sightings. There's sightings every two minutes. We're gonna right. get into Oh one fair for right, right, right. But there was were no... one like a week ago, which we're gonna talk about. <laughs> okay, do we remember Marmaduke Weatherly? The yeah, big the game big hunter. Game hunter. <laughs> yep. So zoologists at the Natural History Museum went up to look at the tracks that he discovered and determined that the tracks were made identically and made with an umbrella stand or ashtray that had a hippopotamus leg as a base. Oh, that's kinda of messed up. You know the one? Have you seen the... Yeah, the they're like hollow. They're like yeah. hollow. That's like... Oh, God. <laughs> Weatherly's role in the hoax was unclear, but he was severely discredited after this. Yeah. So there's no evidence that he was involved in this hoax. Right. He may have just been taken in by it, but he was seriously discredited. Whoops. Which is really funny <laughs> because Kenneth Wilson's photo-, photo, which is the really famous Nessie one. Yeah. Now, again, there's no evidence that Wilson was involved in this hoax mm-hmm. but Weatherly was so having been discredited he went out to discredit everyone else <laughs> he went out to go and show people that he wasn't wrong and Loch Ness did exist so as it came out in 1994 it was revealed that Wilson's photo was a hoax spearheaded by a revenge seeking Weatherly the monster was actually a plastic and wooden head attached to a toy submarine. <laughs> what a petty ass. So he'd been floating this around, <laughs> waiting for someone to get a photo of it, and then he sunk it. That's really funny. To prove that he wasn't insane. Yeah, that's, that's that, that definitely proved his sanity. <laughs> did, they, did they fish it out of the lock? No, they've never actually found it. Oh, was... that's a shame. Okay. Which I just, I just love That's in really funny. every part of that story. That's really funny. So then we move on to Royal Mackle's giant eel theory. Mm-hmm. There is evidence, this is one, there is evidence of outsized uh, eels in New Zealand. So it's actually, if you're going to come up with the most credible theory. It's in a giant eel. The giant eel theory seems to be the most credible. Mm-hmm. I will say that there were 
a hell of a lot of observations pre, like in the 1930s and 1940s of Nessie. And almost all of them describe a long-necked, thin creature. Yeah. But it was a huge newspaper. I mean, there's so many newspaper uh, articles at the time reporting yeah. on it. So, How big are the eels in New Zealand? Did you happen to look that up? No, I ha- I did look up some pictures of giant eels. <laughs> Adam's I literally hate, squirming. I hate underwater stuff. It freaks really? me out. Yeah, it freaks me out. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's one of my one of my big phobias is like the fact that most of our planet is underwater. We have no idea what's living down there. <laughs> we just have no idea. So I mean, Nessie probably real. Probably not in Loch Ness though. Well, that's my point. There's probably sea creatures, but Nessie oh. herself is a very yeah. specific one. Yeah, and it's weird too to, that they that the the most credible theory is a big eel, but I don't know many eels that like stick their heads out of the water and like, you know, participate yeah. with the world in that way. So moving forward to the next picture that I showed you, which was the the elephant squid, the elephant squid, big air quotes. Um, the picture has no ripples. It looks very vague. And it's actually known usually as the Loch Ness Muppet because <laughs> people think it looks so unbelievably fake. Yes. The first sonar thing that we talked about, well, no, the first sonar thing that we talked about was Robert Ryan's. With, no, we talked about the, the fins. Was that him? Yeah, that okay. was him. Okay. So the, the fins moving. Is he the only one who hasn't been discredited as a, as a Nessie? So I did see, before I went into all of this, Yeah. I did see somebody change the resolution on these and they looked way less like fins. How would you change the res- resolution on a photo that's already been taken? Can you do that? Yeah, you can change it. Well, not the resolution, but the contrast. and Ah, uh, just like, like yeah. fiddled with the colors. Yeah. He says that these he still asserts that the technology he sent down was good isn't he dead well okay so he asserted up until 2009 (laughs) that the technology he sent down was good yeah he asserts that the way it was set up was that whenever there was movement the camera would take a picture i think every 15 seconds Mm -hmm. um with a flash so it was dark until it saw movement and then it flashed and those took the photos he also says in 2008 he found no evidence to back up his original claim of 25 years earlier. Okay. Is that, and that's when he was like, she could be dead. Yeah. If she was real. If she was real, she could be dead. I will say at that point, I think he went looking for a body and didn't find a body. Yeah, which you think would be pretty easy to... It would have floated to the surface yeah. or something. So... Unless there's something bigger down there eating all of the dead Loch Ness monsters. <laughs> oh, you're going to have such nightmares. I was just thinking about how deep, the, uh, how dark the water would be at 800 feet below the surface of that lake. And I'm just like cold now. It's cold today. Just go with that. I hate it. Okay, so the image of Sodar in 2011 with the one that followed the boat for two minutes. Mm -hmm. The National Oceanography Center says that the image is actually just a bloom of algae and zooplankton. Okay. The BBC sponsored search using 600 sonar beams and satellite tracking had sufficient resolution in it to identify even a small boy. (laughs) Okay. Buoy. A buoy. Okay. Okay. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. In England. In America. In American. No animal of substantial found, size was found, and despite their reported hope, scientists involved that this proved the Loch Ness monster was a myth. Google's tracking above and below revealed nothing, and the DNA testing mm-hmm. was done looking for unusual. They basically took samples of water and looked for unusual species. 
They were published, the results were published in 2019, and there was no DNA of large fish such as sharks, sturgeons, and catfish. Um, sharks and catfish are the other two big theories. Shark and catfish? Yeah. Um, there was also <laughs> no otter or seal DNA. However, a lot of eel DNA was found. The leader of the study, Neil Gamble, of the University of Otago, I will say not as prestigious as MIT and Georgetown. No. Said he could not rule out the possibility of eels of extreme size, although none were found nor ever caught. The other possibility is that the large amount of eel DNA simply comes from many small eels. Oh, wow, what a thought. Groundbreaking. He said, I think we can be fairly sure that there is probably not a gigantic scaly reptile swimming around in Loch Ness. Well, don't be so pragmatic. However, just on the other side of that. Yeah. The DNA results detected no evidence of seals in the lock. But there are seals in the lock? However, the press was really quick to point out that seals were well known to enter the lock, and the last verified sighting was only a week before the DNA <laughs> okay, testing so was done. DNA testing, probably not conclusive. And the DNA results failed to detect presence of otters in the lock. However, one reporter was heard to exclaim with laughter, because there are so many otters <laughs> in the region, it's hard to miss them at any point. That's one more reason for me to go to Scotland, I guess. Gemley... Our professor Gimble? responded with an embarrassed shrug. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, that's what we learned in your, one of your murder podcasts: mm-hmm. was that DNA tests are not good. <laughs> they're not a great. Always. They're they're inadmissible in court. occasionally, aren't they? It depends on where the DNA comes from and what's your. Yeah. A long time and level-headed Nessie researcher Adrian Shine remarked: "It will take more than science to kill the monster myth." Despite all the exposed hoaxes misinterpretations, misperceptions, and conflicting eyewitness accounts, the belief that something lurks in the depths of the lock endures. The primary reason for the perpetuity of the myth is the thriving tourism industry worth millions of pounds per hour. Yeah. There, no one is going to stop believing in lock, in the monster until they drain the lock. No, and everybody <laughs> around Loch Ness wants people to continue exactly. believing in the monster yeah. because it's driving that's tourism. Why, that's why people go to Point Pleasant, because that's where Mothman's supposed to be from. So I'm going to follow it up with the latest article I could find about Loch Ness. This, this footage that Dora is showing me on the screen looks like it was shot in the, like in the 30s. Yes. However, this was an article from the 27th of April, <laughs> 2020. So literally very, a week ago. Literally a week ago. And it reportedly shows a 30-foot object in Loch Ness. Adam's getting closer now. That's a log. <laughs> that's, a, that's not a... It could be anything, let's be honest. Yeah. And it's apparently the biggest, uh, the best sighting ever of the mythical beast. It was, I believe, an Irish man. I'm going to go off that because his name is Ion O'Fagahami. Fadogahagan? Fadogan? Who knows? It sounds Irish. Yep. (laughs) He says that he has actually seen it four times. Oh. And he says it was 30 feet long. In the video, a black shape can be seen floating atop the water. It remains suspended in the water for a few moments before slowly submerging over the course of two minutes. What submerges? What would have? What would have risen and submerged? Any? Any? Any disputing claims? For, I mean, this no. I know it was ago. recently, so maybe he we'll come back to the it. Pictured Nessie was thirty feet long and rose at least four to five feet high. Uh, he was no stranger to Nessie, having caught the first sighting a, 
of the decade back in January, as well as a further sighting earlier this month on April 14, as well as four times last year. Wow. The number of times that this dude has seen Nessie, <laughs> you would think he would invest in a better camera. Yeah, because I don't know what that was shot on, but it wasn't a modern, it wasn't a smartphone. I, well, Unless he zoomed, how, it was about, yeah, he I mean, probably zoomed all the way yeah, in yeah. from really far away. Yeah. But at least there, there is some scale in that picture. Well, that's why I thought it was worth pointing out yeah. because it is actually got, I mean, the, whatever it is, is big. Yeah. And it's weird that, because I was going to ask if it just like, the footage just showed it floating. Because at that point you could be like, well, it's a boat. It's uh No, it's a merger's. Anyway, so that is Nessie. That's really the cool. the Loch Monster. I uh, didn't realize how uh, profitable it was for, for Scotland to have Nessie. Makes no. sense. Absolutely. But that's about 80 million pounds in 10 years? Yeah, something like that. That's insane. And honestly, for the sake of everyone, go on believing in Nessie. Why not? Yeah, it's not hurting Does anybody. Does no one's harm. No. Gives a whole load of money to Scottish tourism, which is great. Particularly, they're going to need a boost after Corona. Well, Scotland's beautiful from what Scotland's I've seen. Scotland's beautiful. If you need an excuse to go, Nessie hunting has got to be one of the top things on the list. Yeah, just don't go... Uh... With a rhino foot or whatever. So, yeah, while I am not sure that I believe in Nessie. I'm going to go ahead and take a hard pass on that, I think. I think that it's one I want to believe in, so yeah. I might just continue believing <laughs> in it. And I wouldn't, I, I even even at, even very solidly saying that, like, I probably don't believe that Nessie exists. Like, wouldn't be opposed to going to the nest for a day and just, like, staring at the water, waiting for something to pop out. Yeah, I think the reality is... As much as we talk about these things and discredit them in the same way that I would never get in the elevator and play the elevator game. Or go to the, what was it? The, oh, oh, the Willowbrook Mental nope. State mm -hmm. School. Nope. I would probably do that, to be fair. I might go as well. Um, <laughs> but I'm really into the idea of urban exploring. Yeah, while I would never do those things, I would absolutely, any time driving by Loch Ness, have my camera out and be searching. Oh, for sure. Seat. Why wouldn't you? Because can you imagine if they make that much money on tourism? Can how you much money? How much money you'd make if you got a first real <laughs> picture indisputable evidence in Nessie? You'd be a thousand, thousand there. You'd make at least a thousand dollars. Oh yeah, it's picture. a ten thousand dollar idea. <laughs> ten thousand dollar idea. All right, cool. <laughs> okay. I had a lot of information. You did, yeah, and I I have a lot of information as well. So this could be a longer episode. Okay. My notes aren't nearly as frantic looking either. Oh. Look, pretty good. Yeah. And I have no idea what you're doing, so let's do this. All right, yeah, so I went much more general. Cool. Um, I got a little bit of decision anxiety going into this episode because we were so vague in, in the in the sort of like looking at what we okay. were going to research. Um, and I just picked basilisk because like I was like I was digging really deep into some Japanese stuff, which I might get into in another episode. But I was like too much, all too humanoid. So I just picked basilisk. Love it. Um, Bring on the Harry Potter. Yeah, I wrote Harry Potter with an exclamation point Aww. up there in the corner. For those that don't know anything about us, which, why would you? My <laughs> dog is named Gryffindor. Well, your other dog is named Snitch. My other dog is named Golden Snitch. Yeah. And Crookshanks. Mm -hmm, we have Crookshanks the cat. In fact, we're the least imaginative name <laughs> on the planet. Bunch of Harry Potter freaks. Just just to break it up, of course, we do have a horse named Treebeard. So that's the Lord, Lord of the, of the Rings. Rings coming in there. Yeah, too. yeah. Big nerds. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're not going to start with the creature quite yet. Okay. We're going to start with a Roman, famous Roman guy named Pliny the Elder. Okay. He lived between 23 and 79 CE. Um, he was a lawyer. Okay. 
Author, yeah. A lawyer, author, natural philosopher, naturalist, a military commander, and a principal governor. Whatever that means in terms of Romans, Roman governing, no idea. He governed a principality. Okay, that's pretty easy then. Yeah. Uh, he's rumored to have died in the eruption of Vesuvius, which oh. was the, the eruption that destroyed Pompeii. And the big one. The, the, big, the big eruption. That's sad. Um, But he's most well known for writing a a. 37 book series called Naturalist Historia. Natural history. We it, good at Latin. Yeah, very good. I'm not even sure if that's even like the Latin. Someone may have just added some extra letters onto some words. It was one of the largest single works to survive the Roman Empire. It covers botany, zoology, astronomy, geology, mineralogy, and that even includes like the dangerous exploitation of these things, which is very interesting because he was you know, writing mm-hmm. over 2,000 years ago about things that we're, like, now concerned yeah. about in the 21st century. He also talked about technical advances and things called hushing and, like, the use of water mills. Hushing is a, <laughs> hushing is a method of using fast-running water to expose mineral veins. Okay. So, very smart guy. He wrote a lot of, a lot of the stuff he wrote was based on his personal experience and stuff like that. But the important reason I'm talking about him is that he mentions the basilisk in natural history. And you can actually go and read this on the internet. Okay. So I did. Good. That's all we're here for, reading stuff since <laughs> 2020. I will say that every opportunity I've had to write the word basilisk in these notes, I've spelled it incorrectly. <laughs> <laughs> so the basilisks, uh, P- uh, Pliny thought, um, were found in a province called Cyrene. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. No more than 12 fingers in length. Markings on his head that look like a crown. Uh, All other serpents flee from it. It does not move on its belly like a snake does. It is upright and erect in the middle. So sort of how like I was talking about how would an eagle move through the water like that. That's how the basilisk is meant to move. Okay. They were believed to be so toxic that they destroy plants and rocks on contact as well as with their breath. So like they would roll over a rock and they're so toxic that the rock would just crumble beneath them. They're, they're, they're in this sort of lore. But in this sort of lore that 12 fingers fingers long. long. And I do know that you're probably thinking of the, like the rooster headed. I actually don't know what I'm thinking of. Oh, 12 fingers long isn't very long. No, I'm just trying to think that's not. That's longer than like the average rattlesnake in Virginia. Right. So, yeah, and they're even so toxic that, and I put this in quotations because I thought it was super interesting, formerly believed that if a man on horseback killed one with a spear, the toxin would travel up the spear, killing the man and the horse. So, lore-wise, the most dangerous, most dangerous creature that you could ever run across. I will say that common lore, like more modern folklore about the basilisks, includes its deadly stare. I did not see that anywhere in the the writings from from Pliny. Did he give you a way to kill it? Yes. Uh, They're weak to the smell of a weasel. So people would take weasels and find the den of a basilisk, which was very easy to find because all the shrubbery around would be dead. And then according to the legend, they would toss a weasel in. The basilisk is weak to the smell of a weasel. And even though the weasel would die in the process, the basilisk would would also perish. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is believed to go back to, um, because basilisks are traced back to, like, deserty deserty areas, okay. like, arid areas, because they destroy all the shrubbery around them. They think it was probably, you know, cobras and mongoose okay. are natural enemies. So they uh, think it's probably okay. just tied back to that okay. in some way. So that's sort of, not the first instance of basilisk, but, like, a very notable one, because this is... 
that that work, the natural history, is like the model for all encyclopedias in the sense that it covers. They're so comprehensive; it covers every topic of okay. the natural world, basically. So now we'll dig a little bit into the legend proper of the basilisk. Um, it's believed that basilisks are born from the egg of a rooster, which roosters don't lay eggs. Yeah, okay. Uh, a rooster lays an egg, and then it is incubated under a snake or a toad. As opposed to eaten by snakes, which I have had many problems with. Yes, yes. Not not, not nearly the same thing. And, that, and so that's the inverse of a cockatrice, which I didn't know was a thing. A cockatrice is the egg of a toad or a snake incubated under a rooster. And they're very similar in folklore. They both have, like, toxic... Breath, they have eye That's mythology. Such a weird relationship. I know, and it's weird that, and I think they must have come from this. I didn't really dig into the cockatrice at all, and maybe I should have a little bit to see where their origins yeah. are from. But I think they're probably both just Roman things, Roman mythologies that sort of just came yeah. the sort of inverse, you know, things like that. But the basilisk is included in many bestiary, like ancient bestiaries across like all of Europe. Okay. So Isidore of Seville. Hey. Yeah. He was Spanish, gave it the moniker the King of the Snakes. Uh, the Venerable Bede, I think, B-E-D-E, he's an old English man, okay. another like famous philosopher, scientist guy, attributed the creation of basilisks to the egg of an old cock laid. It's very strange. It's always an old rooster crows its last crow at midnight on a clear night, and then it lays an egg, and that's, and that egg incubated by a snake or a, a toad, basilisk comes out. They don't breed amongst themselves? No. They're all males, from what I could tell. There was one, one who... It seems like you wouldn't bother going to kill them. They must be very rare. Yeah, well, that's what you would think, but there's tons of stories about <laughs> these things. Yeah, okay, so the Venerable Beatty attributed to the... Yeah, that... They're also an, a, an important component in alchemy, which I didn't dig into too much. Alchemy's super interesting to me. The, this, like, fusion of science and like the natural world really like maybe we'll, I'll do an episode about that at some point but it was believed that the powdered blood or ashes of a basilisk could be used to create something called Spanish gold from copper just really okay really valuable stuff as the legends go on the basilisk the basilisk it's spelled incorrectly because I can barely pronounce it the basilisk becomes more deadly it becomes larger uh, it be it gains the ability to kill with its voice or with just a hiss. It can breathe fire or have toxic breath, and it is also becomes able, like I mentioned earlier, to kill the victim by touching the thing that the victim is holding. So they're like immovable, unstoppable killing machines, unless you throw a ferret at it. <laughs> Say unless you have a weasel. Okay. Uh, and they're also mentioned in a bunch of. Uh, like other writings, like Shakespeare mentions it in a few things. Chaucer mentions it in the Canterbury Tales. There's actually a series of Scottish books written based off of just like a segment in The Nursemaid's Tale from Chaucer. Yeah, so Shakespeare, it's mentioned in some Shakespeare stuff. Chaucer mentions it in Canterbury Tales. They're mentioned in the Bible. Okay. Like like if you if you directly really? translate it from Hebrew. Uh, they're mentioned in Psalms, and it's like... Called Basilisk yeah, or as dragon? No, called Basilisk. So, like, in the new in the new King James Version, they're, they're snakes or dragons. Okay. But in if you direct, directly translate it from Hebrew, the psalm, and I should have written it, written it down, but it says something like, if you claim him in the name as your God, you will trot on the snake and the asp, and the basilisk will fall beneath your foot, or something like that. It's all, okay. all of that, like... 
serpentine imagery about conquering evil and stuff like that. I was just about to say something really dumb and be like, well, that's interesting because obviously the snake and the dragon are true. So why was (laughs) I like, no. Well, it's a dragon though. No, no. So, and now that's all very general stuff. And I was a bit worried that I wasn't going to be able to find super specific stories relating to basilisks, but I managed to find a couple. Go for it. Um, And so I'm going to go into those now. Uh, So we're going to talk first about the Warsaw Basilisk of 1587. What's interesting about the two stories that I picked, and I didn't realize this until shortly before recording this, but these are there's a, a, a book published called The Fiji Mermaid and Other Essays in Natural and Unnatural History. And it was published or written by someone whose name I didn't write. Oh, Jan Bondison. Um, and she or he didn't even bother to check into the gender of the author of this book. Um wrote wrote this book and published like four or five stories about basilisks from varying points in time. So this first one we're going to talk about is the Warsaw Basilisk of 1587. So there was a an artisanal knife maker in, living in Poland, and his name was Makarofius, okay. and his five-year-old daughter and her friend go missing. His wife and nurse, so he, his kids, his kid and his kid's friend go missing, and he just buggers off for the rest of this story. Oh. He's in the story long enough for you to learn his name, and then he's never mentioned again. Okay. So his wife and nursemaid go out to find them, and they find a collapsed, dilapidated house with uh, the floor leading to the cellar is broken in. And they see the two children laying down there, and they're motionless. It says that the nursemaid then yells at them until she grows hoarse, and the, the kids don't move. So she bravely goes down the stairs to check on the children and falls motionless in front of her mistress. And the wife of Mac, who we'll call Mac because he's useless. His <laughs> so real... Mac gets named, but in true women historical stuff, the, the child wi- nurse made a mother. Gets... Who risk their lives to find the children yeah. and get no recognition at all. None at all. And that's an interesting bit as well because the next person to get ma- named, also a man. Oh! Uh, so nursemaid dies. Is presumed dead. Okay, the uh, children not presumed dead. At also time? presumed okay. dead. Yeah, but they didn't know until the. I don't. I don't think that they presumed it until the nursemaid like fell over. So she, the wife, freaks out, and she runs back into town, and she and rumors just start to like fly. You know about like what's going on. Because up until this, my true crime brain is just saying it was her a, husband was having an affair with the <laughs> nursemaid. Wife turned into and she family him. and I in the laters and killed them all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's not what happens in this story. Okay, sorry. It's a little bit more heroic than that. It's interesting. They say that the the rumors like run rampant, and then it describes the air as feeling thick to breathe, because basilisk the the basilisk in this story is so toxic that it actually affects like the air quality. Okay. In the area, townsfolk are like, yeah, it's a basilisk. Because that's common knowledge, I guess, in this okay. in this town in Poland, in Warsaw. This town. Warsaw's a pretty major hub in, in Poland. So the Senate holds an emergency meeting, and Benedictus shows up. And Benedictus is a former physician to the king. Why are and they always named Benedictus? I don't, because it's Rome, like yeah, just Roman, Roman, Latin stuff. And so he ex- they, uh, they pull the bodies out of the cellar. It says that they go with big iron hooks on sticks and pull the bodies out. Lovely. So he examines them, and he says, and I put this in quotes because it was really gross and freaked me out. They presented a horrible appearance, being swollen like drums and with much discolored skin. The eyes protruded from the sockets like the halves of hen's eggs. So, like, super dead. Super dead and, like, really kind of grotesque. 
And so Benedictus says, no, yeah, that's a basilisk. Like, for sure, can't be anything else. Because, again, even though it's not common knowledge seemingly anywhere else, in Warsaw, Warsaw knows oh, what's going on. Has a basilisk. Okay. And so they, so the townsfolk are like, well, what are we going to do? I'm still going with family annihilation, <laughs> strangulation. Like, what are we going to do about this? And so Benedictus says, a man, of course, must descend to the cellar and bring the basilisk out on a rake and present it to the sun. Because Benedictus, at this point, is under the assumption that even though they know basilisks exist, they didn't just think, we'll go into the woods, find a stoat, and chuck it in the hole. hole. He says, no, we're going to have to send someone down there to bring it up and present it to the sun because he assumed that the sun would kill it. (laughs) And for protection, must wear a leather dress covered with mirrors pointing in all angles. Because this is the lore that the basilisk has a deadly gaze, and if it looks at itself in the mirror, it will kill itself. So now we're in true Harry Potter territory. Basically, yeah. Okay. Because Harry Potter didn't totally take this from, like, myriads of other folklore (laughs) stories or anything. Harry Potter is the one true word. And so Benedictus says, well, who's going down there? He says, I can't go. He's like, I'm too old and weak. (laughs) It says he's too old and infirm. (laughs) Max, uh, and Max Bucketoff. Exactly, exactly. He doesn't come back at all. Like, for any of this, he doesn't even go to the Senate meeting. Anyway, uh, so he goes to the, the military and the police, and they all say, no, nah, we can't be bothered to go down there. It sounds too dangerous. So then he goes to the burgers, which I guess was a term. I didn't know this, and you might know this because you're a history major. Awesome. Burgers was a, was a term used for, like, the bourgeoisie before the word bourgeoisie existed. No, I think burgers are, like, a quarter pounder in a bun. That's pretty good. Uh, they say no. <laughs> <laughs> and so in quotations, I wrote this. They could find no man of sufficient courage. So let me guess. Wifey steps up. No. Where do you turn if the police and the military and anyone who has the right to say no, where do you turn after that? Slaves. Prison. Yeah. So they, they turn to a prisoner, uh, a prisoner by the name of Johann Farrer. So he gets a last name in this, in this <laughs> nursemaid who died, sacrificed herself to save these children, just the nursemaid. So Johann was a Silesian prisoner, and Silesia was a like a province in Poland. Okay. Before Poland was Poland, I guess. Lucky him being chosen. Yeah, he was sentenced to death for robbery, which seems a bit excessive. But... Actually, it seems pretty normal. Period. <laughs> And he he originally agreed because he was granted he'd be granted a full pardon if he managed to to kill this basilisk, and so obviously they they strap this ridiculous looking dress on him, and it says they send him down to the cellar with a sturdy rake in his right hand, and a flaming torch in the left. And I wish to God I could draw or had found an image of this online so I could we could post it on Instagram or in the show notes because sure po- it sure is we can... the funniest thing that I'm imagining in my... And it says that in some of the lore, they, like, tape his eyes shut or put big eyeglasses on him so he can't look at the basilisk. Okay, you have to take my more highly powered computer and do a photo. Oh, my God. I think, I think we might do that. And so the, a crowd gathers around the cellar. Everyone was too afraid to go into it, but like any other, you know, like... When Gaston goes after the beast, everyone wants to be a part of that and have their name be, you know, sort of like in the history books. Except if you're a woman. Unless you're a woman and then you're not allowed (laughs) or you die and you have no name. So Farrer descends and Benedictus stands at the top of the cellar and like shouts instructions down to him. So this man, this prisoner who probably can't move very well, has this old crazy guy just like shouting down 
He's like, yeah, no, 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 you're going to want to use that rake and, like, pick it up and just bring it up here. And listen. No, 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 I'm not coming down there. Was it still 12 fingers long at this point? I, I No, there's no description about this okay. basilisk. So I will say that the the image of the basilisk, basilisk changes depending on where you are. Uh, Pliny describes it as basically like an adder, like any okay. sort of snake. Um, but there are pictures online of a chicken head on a like a scaly black body with like a scorpion tail and lizard legs it's sort of just like a if they took the two animals that create a basilisk and smashed them together okay. it sort of just looks like that i like to imagine this is just a bigger snake or okay. even like a, a slow worm because he's using a rake to pick it up <laughs> so benedictus is shouting at johan um who successfully lists the creature from the pit and then has it on the rake. I'm assuming nice. I'm assuming he still stood in the bottom of the cellar I mean, holding this rake. I have honestly moved a snake with a rake before. Yeah, so. it's, not, it's not hard to believe. That's yeah. kind of what's nice about this story. Okay. And the crowd flees as soon as the basilisk clears, like, the top of yeah, the cellar. Yeah, well, that, makes, oh, that yeah. makes sense. Um, what's interesting... Oh, yeah, so here's the description. It had the head of a cock, eyes of a toad, crest like a crown, a warty and scaly skin covered all over with the hue of other venomous animals... And the tail bent back behind its body. Curved tail bent back behind its body. Okay. It's like a scorpion's tail, I'm assuming. Yeah, just none of that makes a visual that I can come up with. It's a, well, well, I'll show you. We'll toss, okay. it in, toss it in the show notes. But you can't really, like, you just, when you look at it, it looks like a child's drawing. No, Because, like, well, first of all, art back then, if you were drawing something from mythology, wasn't, like, super detailed or anything. And it's not the giant snake from Harry Potter. Yeah. So that's what I always think of when I hear the word basilisk, because my brain has been tainted for the rest of my life. So the crowd flees in fear, but Benedictus sticks around to, like examine it okay apparently not fearing at all it like whipping around and looking at him and that's where it ends that's where the story ends it rather anticlimactically he lifts the basilisk from the cellar benedictus looks at it and says and confirms what we've all been thinking that's a basilisk and then the story ends and we don't know if johan got pardoned or if he was still put to death we don't Basilisk out. Yeah, but you don't, I mean, but come on, it was 1587. She got pardoned, and the wife married a nice man, and she had a couple of extra kids. She divorced Mac, or Mac. murdered him yeah, in his yeah, sleep. Yeah. and married a, a nice man, had yeah. a couple of extra kids. Maybe she married Johan. Maybe she married Johan. Maybe she married Johan. Yeah, and, and I think the, the mirror dress, she wore the mirror dress on her wedding day. I can you imagine how horrible that would be? <laughs> yeah, that would be nice, yeah. We're going with a happy, positive legend. I like day. that, I like that, and I'm... I like not thinking that Johan was still murdered for robbery and Mac was allowed to survive in the village, even though he was a craven yellow belly who wouldn't even go look at his daughter's dead body. Anyway, so that story does end very anticlimactically. What is interesting about it, and I didn't read this book or this story directly from like the copied source on Google. I actually was reading it on an article published by Mike Dash through the Smithsonian. Okay who did a really, really in-depth and thorough deep dive into the reason why this legend would exist and why it would be based in Poland. Because there's a few things that don't really make sense. Okay. Um, first thing is the the husband's name is is Latin. It's it's And it's Latin for a person with a sword. Oh, okay. People wouldn't, in Poland, wouldn't be named something like okay. that. That is, that, and that, that naming style is indicative of the, like, early humanist writing from like the the enlightenment okay sort of era i didn't do as much research into his research as <laughs> he did so i i'm just so, paraphrasing so what basically the story was was there was a, a, a and this was published in like the 
oh, Christ, like the late 17th century, I think, okay. the story that I read. Yeah. But it was based on a story written like 300 years prior, and then someone, a, a humanist writer, grabbed it and put a humanist yeah. spin on it. Okay. So he thinks that because of the the nature of humanism, which was that people were sort of more interested in different things. He thinks that the, the story was originally written or the translation was written with like a focus on alchemy because the off the translation, the author of the the author of the pre-translation was connected to an area that was really heavily inspired by alchemy. Okay. Which goes back to what I was talking about earlier. So the one that was written in like 13, 12, 13. Something like that. Okay. Yeah. I think. Might need to go back and read read relook at that, but I can't really remember. Okay. So Importantly, that story seems to have more of a tie to alchemy than okay. originally, you know, yeah. Yeah. And so the alchemy's not mentioned in any way. No, no. It just has to do with the naming of things that's very unusual and stuff like that. Okay. Anyway, so the second story that I went into from the same, from the Fiji Mermaid and other essays in Natural and Unnatural History was a story called The Basilisks of Rome. B-A-S-L-E, Basle, Basel, Basel, maybe? B-A-S-L-E, yeah, and Vienna. And this is basically just like a tick list of, okay. of, of basilisk encounters. Uh, in the early 1400s, a basilisk was found under the Temple of Lucia in Rome. Um, it was evident because there were noxious vapors and the, the denizens of that town were set upon by a plague. Okay. It was slain by prayers from the Pope. Okay. That was the end of that little bit. Uh, in Holland, there were two old cocks who were sitting on some eggs. And the local farmers, fearing a basilisk hatching, smashed the eggs and strangled the roosters. Okay, well that... So people had a very react... If these stories are true at all, and people did believe... And I found some evidence to suggest that people... Heavily believed that these were real creatures. Oh, I'm sure they. They yeah. had. We were very reactionary. Okay. They were like. We, well, they sound absolutely oh, yeah, terrifying. Yeah, like if one is born, it has the potential. If it crosses any large body of water, to decimate large populations of. It also, gave a whole town plague. Exactly. Apparently, that went away as soon as the thing was dead, though. Okay. So in 1474, this is a hilarious. Sorry, this is the basilisk of... Well, I'm going to pronounce basil. I'm going to say it's basil. Okay. I don't know if that's correct or not. Basil. basil. Some historian who's not Dora, correct me. Okay. So this is in 1474, and an old rooster was found laying an egg, which, as we okay. know, big no. Bad, bad. Yeah. Uh, the rooster... I need you to, to stay with me here for okay. a second. Was captured, jailed... And then tried in court for outrage against nature. Oh, the rooster. To be fair, if the rooster had laid an egg, yeah, which it probably didn't, because roosters can't lay eggs. Yeah, but if it had, it would be fairly outrageous. Yeah, but you're. And oh, you're justifying the the <laughs> the chicken going to court. Got it. <laughs> I'm saying in this period, uh, if probably a man not had given birth to a baby. Would pro- yeah, there's some witch there's some witchcrafty stuff that this all sort of ties yeah, back to. Yeah, because that to me is. So the prosecutor, the, pro- the prosecutor, <laughs> threatens, says, "Okay, r- rooster, you're <laughs> you should not be doing this because you're threatening the whole town. Because if you endeavor to hatch a basilisk, we're all screwed." Yeah, it's fair point. He says, even if you're unsuccess, 
even even if you're unsuccessful, the fact that a basilisk could exist could and you could have produced a useful component in alchemy mm-hmm. would have encouraged evil. So very puritanical, reactionary, like even though you're unsuccessful in hatching this basilisk, we're going to have to do something about you because you've encouraged evil in right. in Basil, obviously. Okay. The barrister for the for the rooster, for the, the DA, <laughs> had a really hard time convincing the public of the rooster's defense because the public was all for... Hang on, what was the rooster's defense? I don't know. It doesn't say. I, it, it must have just been like what I had said, what I any logical gonna... person would say. First of all, a rooster can't lay eggs. Secondly... I'm pretty sure basilisks don't actually exist. Uh, Does sound like. <laughs> thirdly, you can't enforce your your like your more your more like ambiguity on an animal because it encouraged quote unquote encouraged evil. It was all very like pre satanic panic panic. <laughs> I gotta say, I'm. I'm you're on the prosecutor side, side aren't this. you? <laughs> DA's not convinced. You're such me. a you're so puritanical. Uh-huh. Uh, because popular opinion was already against the rooster. Yeah, well, of course. Obviously, because there, it's, you he know... He was trying to birth something that yeah. could kill the town. In quotations, I wrote, he also had a hard time convincing the public because every crowing was interpreted as a confession. <laughs> <laughs> Which is hysterical. I want... So this one and the other story from this book, I want to be turned into short films, like <laughs> animated. Or like, if Monty Python had done these, they would have been brilliant. Yeah. Um, so there's a conviction for the rooster and the, the prosecutor references the gardening swine, which I didn't really go into, but the basic rundown is that any animal could be entered by the devil and then is therefore guilty of any acts committed. Okay. So basically the rooster is, is tried and convicted of being possessed by the devil. Was it because his eyes are black? I don't know. Oh. See what I did there? I made a supernatural joke. (laughs) So it was sentenced to be burned on the summit of Kohlenberg, which that crime was often reserved for, again, robbers, because you have to burn people alive for that, and blasphemers. So it's like a pretty hefty sentence. Before the execution, this is a bit gruesome, before the execution, the bird's abdomen was sentenced to be opened. I just point out this is just a normal chicken slaughtering. Yeah, and then they cooked it. And hopefully they <laughs> ate it. Okay. They opened it and there were three unhatched eggs inside. And what was described as its ovarium, which roosters <laughs> do not have. So this poor crowing hen. Yes. With a with a, a, a comb. yeah, with a comb. Was well, I've had hens with combs. Have you? Oh, well, of course you have, yeah. Hens can have a this comb. was a hen. That, that they thought was a rooster because it probably crowed once. Yeah. And then confessed in its crowing. Yeah. So they cut her open. Mm-hmm. We will now refer to her as her. Uh, and they found three unhatched eggs at different levels of development. Like you do in a chicken. Yes. Because it's not a rooster. Uh-huh. And then they burned it. And then I wrote this. This is the final quotation of the story. The cocks of Basil greeted the sun with their crowing and only a heap of ash remained of their abnormal egg-laying comrade. <laughs> I think, which I love. I love both of these stories, and I hope I never lose this notebook because these are like my favorite <laughs> words that have ever been written. And so I was curious because 
obviously that's a hilarious story. But the basilisk isn't like we found like Loch Ness is very strictly Scottish. Yeah. Right. And there are some legends that do just exist in a region or are like tied to a place. But the basilisk seems to have traveled all over Europe. And that probably has something more to do with the fact that the Romans were at the same time proliferating across all of Europe. And that's, that's probably more to do with it than anything else. But I wanted to see why that, like, why else that could be the case. Like, why else would one creature span, yeah. like, m- like a landmass and, you know, and all that stuff. So what I found was a, a book written by Dr. Brian Levac. I'm sorry. Well, I can't. I can't. I think he's dead. So I can't even apologize to him for pronouncing his name apologize correctly. Apologize to his children. His children's children. I'm so sorry. Um, and he wrote a book called The The New Perspectives on Witchcraft and Demonology, which much like your doctor, I thought he was just a total hack fraud and thought that he had nothing to do about anything. And he was just a crazy guy who wrote one book about rich, witchcraft. Turns out he's got quite a lofty education as well. And so I had to look him back up again. Okay. So he got his BA from Fordham. He was an He's an American historian and okay. his 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 section of history is early modern britain and europe so you want to know something really funny what my period of history was early modern okay britain. i know exactly who you're talking about really and when i did uh so i did not let me point out i did not get into oxford university mm-hmm. but when i went off my university interview my major topic of interview and research was actually early modern european wow. history and witchcraft and how gender studies yeah, resulted so, in different people getting told different things in witchcraft because so no that's, only women were burned at stake. That's his whole thing. So he. But I know this. That's crazy. Yeah, that's that's amazing that you know that. So he got his bachelor's from Fordham, and then he got his PhD from Yale. So as soon as I saw that, I was like, okay, this guy's probably not like a jokester. Um, and yeah, all of his. All of his research is like the like the the witch the, like the witch trials, and then. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the relationship between law and politics in early modern Britain, the formation of the British state in terms of, like, witch hunting and demon possession. Let's be real clear, the difference between Robert Rhines and him is that... He did a lot more stuff. He advocated for the existence of Loch Ness Monster. He also... He's advocating that people (laughs) believed in witchcraft, which they absolutely did. He's not saying witchcraft itself is... No, this was more of... This was just another example of, like, it's not a bad idea for us to... This is more of a lesson for us, is that when we see a name on a... As a source, or we... Should so, take the ten seconds to go see what they're like. What they're yeah. They're Wikipedia not. even provides usually very helpful little click through. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's it's funny that we that well it's funny that you knew who this person was and yeah, it's, it's equally it's funny. Weirdly rare. It would not have it's, like that was. It was equally funny that there are two instances in this podcast where we each found a doc a professor who, I mean, he did say some crazy. Your Ryan's did say some absolutely bonkers stuff. But I mean, was also obviously super educated yes. and intelligent yeah, no, and, and, and involved, and this man as well. I thought he because I read the title of the book and I was like, "This is mad. This is just a crazy yeah. person's book." But anyway, so what he wrote in his book was that the basilisk, as we've mentioned, as with a lot of mythical creatures, this is, is that now when you tell me he believes in the basilisk, <laughs> I, <miss> that. <laughs> I fooled you. No, it's an allegory yeah. for the unseen okay. or what people would perceive as demonic. Uh, an agency of poison. So, like, if 
if someone poisoned another person and they didn't know who the poisoner yeah. was, people would just be like, oh, it was, it was, you know, it was the basilisk. There must be a basilisk okay. around. Um, because there's a fear of the unseen agency that affects a body. So that's a, a lot of, yeah. the, a lot of like the stories are obviously just derivative of fear. Um, and that has a reference to alchemy as well. This comes up time and time again in these stories. And I kind of wish I had done a little bit more digging into that. But I think that that is such a huge topic for, it's just for another episode. Okay. And so the basilisk was the body for unidentified influences whose later tangible effects are disease or death. So again, plague, famine, all of these things that have real world causes. Well, the smell thing. Yeah, so obviously it, if it's something stinking, it could be to do with some septic stuff. Septic yeah, because that was a real problem in Britain and that, in, in early Britain and Europe, and wasn't that could it? Then actually create. Yeah, like the unsanitary conditions is what caused like the the, yeah. the plague thing, all yeah. the plague stuff. So that makes sense. Yeah, so these things that like are tangible, the effects yeah. of of poor septic or yeah. like poor hygiene is all very tangible. But these people were uneducated in that and unaware of what was actually causing it. So they create a boogeyman basically. And then they just sort of go, yep, it's the basilisk. And if we kill the basilisk, then everything will be better because they just had no, they had no understanding of what was actually causing all of their problems. Well, and uh, you know, it's going to be something that I think we it's going to come up time and time over again. Over and over and yeah. over again. Um, and interestingly enough, Nessie wasn't blamed for anything. No, it's not even in the beginning. No, no. Nessie's really never been associated with, Anything, which is interesting. It is interesting and it, in the same way that the basilisk makes a huge amount of sense for the period for that the time. It would have come up yeah, to be associated mm -hmm. with something. Very weird that Nessie was just like remained unscathed. Just literally a benign do, monster in the sea. Do you think it would have changed Scottish tourism if she had been known as like if there had been like you know, mutilated seal corpses washing up on the shores of Loch Ness. Do you think less people would go or more people would go? Uh, more, because then you'd more likely... Because there's more evidence than isn't there. Is gonna, I think. Don't go out there and start mutilating seals <laughs> yeah, as evidence. <laughs> yeah, you crazy kids. Um, no, I, I think more people would, but at the same time, I think that when it comes to kid-friendly monsters, and maybe this is one of the reasons why... Oh, yeah. Because the same with Bigfoot. Yeah. These are kid-friendly monsters. Mm -hmm. You could take your kids on holiday to Scotland and show them Loch Ness and say, oh, Nessie lives there, yeah. and she's got these big fluttery eyelashes. And they're not going to have nightmares. Yeah. You're not going to take them to Willowbrook and say, <laughs> you're going to get kidnapped <laughs> <laughs> and maybe left in a sewer somewhere. Yeah. No, it's it's I. this was really good fun compared to... Yeah, I liked this. Compared um, to the creepy Slender Man and the creepy Cropsy. Oh, God. So it was fun to do something a little different, and we have to remember to keep it light. Every once in a while, yeah. It's good yeah. to have a palate cleanser. Yeah. So what are we going to do next? No idea. I think I want to dig into some Japanese okay. um, stuff, because not super aware of Japanese culture. I'm, like, very peripherally, like, periphery of Japanese culture, but I found some interesting things... That I wrote down in a different section of my notes, which I will pull up very well, quickly. Well, as you know, I love Japan. Yes, I, I know you and you and Ben both love Japan very much. And like, it's not an area I'm super familiar with, but a lot of their folklore is like, I'm a little worried because it's very, a lot of it's super gruesome. I was about to say, because there is something I'd love to do about Japan. Okay, maybe we can wait then. Um, or do you no. want to do it for the next? Oh, you. Oh, you. I'm mean, saying there is something willing, I'd love okay. to do, but it's really dark. Yeah, I mean, maybe we can just bounce back with another dark one. 
Or we can wait a, a couple episodes. Or maybe we could come up with the next two. Okay. And you can do one Dark Japan and I'll do a light something else. And then, and then oh, the nice. After, yeah. I'll do a Dark Japan okay. and you can do a light something else. Yeah, because I, I found, and it's interesting because there's oh, there's like that, there's a huge like history of censorship in, in Japan with like their media and stuff. And, you know, like after, you know, the unfortunate happenstance of like world, after we bombed Japan in World War II, we the Americans, not <laughs> we. Let's obvious. be clear, as a Brit, I barely yeah. realized Japan was involved in World War II. Yeah, so when we did that, it sort of reset them. And when their media started to come back, it like, it like hit the ground and just like took off in every possible direction. Yeah. Um, which I is, love. Which we is spent, so Ben and I spent a month in Japan about two years ago and it was probably one of the most amazing experiences of my life. And so I found this, really oh, it. sorry. So I found this creature called the Gasha Dokuro, which sounds super interesting. It's a big skeleton. Okay. Like a big, like a 15 foot tall skeleton that's okay. made up of the bone. Uh, I don't want to get too far no, into, it into it. No, don't go into it. Because it's super cool. Don't go into it. So maybe, that'll, that maybe that'll be what I talk about and next week. I want to talk about the suicide forest. <sighs> okay. But it's too dark, I think, to do. Yeah, that's a, that's a creepy one. That is a creepy one. And I want to talk about the iPhone <laughs> factory <laughs> where people jump out the windows. <laughs> Um, so I think we should split it up and I should do something. We should each come up. We'll do the next two episodes kind of in conjunction with each other. Yeah. With a dark Japan. A dark Japan and a super light. Yeah. Like another mythical creature or something. Something just like a super, yeah. Super lightweight. Yeah. Mythical. mythical Yeah. No, no pressure at all. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. Okay, so Maybe um, that'll be a new segment on the show. We'll just call it Dark Japan. <laughs> and it'll be for the really messed up listeners. Just whenever we, <laughs> whenever we really want to screw people's brains. <laughs> um, okay, so that was, you are doing Japan next week. Yeah, I'm going to do the Gasha Dokuro. Okay, and I'll come up with something that's fluffy. Cool. Well, thanks for listening. That was the Loch Ness Monster and... You already forgot what The Basilisk, which was in Harry Potter. So that was legendary. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks, As guys. always, if you have enjoyed what you have to hear, please hit subscribe. Please rate and review us. Really importantly, hit subscribe. Tell your friends. Oh, and did I mention... And hit subscribe. Hit, hit subscribe. And as a side note, maybe follow the Instagram if you want oh, to. Oh, yeah, that is also cool. Maybe you'll see my artist's rendition of Johan wearing yeah. the mirror dress. It's called... Uh, <laughs> the Truth of Legends. That's the there one. We, we knew that. Truth of Legends. We'll write that down somewhere. And, Put it up in big words. All right. Thanks, Thanks guys. Thanks very much, guys. Bye. Bye.